Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Now this run-up this year, which we're not in yet. I wish I could say that we were, but we're not. It's August 2nd. Run-up probably starts... Uh, maybe when Yahoo opens up their leagues, that's usually kind of the day. Then you can get some mocks going with the crazies. The run-up this year, there's a tie-in here. The run-up this season is going to be more mock-heavy. People do seem to really enjoy those. Uh, We'll do a few different formats, because most of the ones we've done in the past have been 9-cat, either head-to-head or roto. We'll probably get a couple of points leagues things going. And I want to leave a little bit more space for those. But also, because the season win total stuff came out so early, and we're already done with that at the beginning of August, I've had to kind of rotate the way that we cover material this offseason. So that brings us to a little bit of a weird gap, almost, where Yahoo has not opened up their basketball leagues yet. We're done with season win totals. We're done with free agency and player movement. I don't really want to get into a rank board yet. I feel it, frankly, it's too soon. And you guys know most of what we do uh, in the Dan method, if you want to call it that, the old man squad method. Funny name. Maybe not perfectly accurate these days. It's the Dan Bespris boring team squad, if we're really going to get... So it's the boring method. Call it the boring method. Sorry. (laughs) Isn't that a Musk company? (laughs) Makes sense. X or Twitter or whatever it's called now. Anyway, so maybe we can't take boring. But I'm not doing actual... I'm not making a hole. I'm actually just a snooze. The way we do fantasy basketball is a snooze. Uh, And that requires ADP data is where I was going with that thought before my brain fluttered off like a little butterfly. So it's created this little window here, first week or two of August, where last season we were doing some of this stuff a little bit earlier and some of this stuff a little bit later. Big, big run-up here at the beginning of the podcast to say we're going to start looking at some of the arguments for players at the top of the board. As opposed to just what we did at the end of last week while I was dealing with the, the after effects of COVID, where we looked at who was going near the top of the board. The rest of this week, maybe into next week, maybe into the fall, we'll see how long we want to run this thing out and if people actually enjoy it. We're going to be looking at the case, or cases, for some of the players going near the top of the board. Before I do that, Welcome to the show. It's Fantasy NBA Today, Sports Ethos presentation. I am Dan Vespers on Twitter X, on Threads Y. Every site on the internet should just be one letter at this point. I'm tired of multisyllabic words. And today, I'm going to say something harebrained and nonsensical. And I'm going to tell you at the front end, I don't think that I even believe what I'm about to say. But part of fantasy is making cases for things and then trying to see, does it actually add up? Or do I? Maybe I do believe in it. And so the topic of today's show 
is the case to draft someone besides Nikola Jokic in a nine-category league, head-to-head or roto, doesn't matter which one you're looking at, and who that might be. The consensus right now, as was the case last year, is that Jokic should go first. And we could twist ourselves into little circles. But at the end of the day, he was number one. So he won it. Also at the end of the day, the number two player... See, this is where you got to start. You got to start at the top. If it's not Jokic for this coming season, and I'll give you a couple of reasons why it might not be Jokic this coming season, who would it be? So let's start with the case for it to not be Jokic. You say, okay, Jokic or the field, sort of a betting terminology move to make here. Here's your case for the field. Nikola Jokic just won an NBA title. There aren't that many guys that come back with two MVPs and a title and a finals MVP that really feel like they need to go full ever-loving tilt the following year. Nikola Jokic played 69 games this most recent season, which by all accounts was uh, just ever so slightly better than league average, which I mean, it's telling you what's going on how many games players actually get through these days. Uh, or, or maybe like right on league average, but better than average for the guys up near the top of the board. I think there's a very reasonable chance, and if someone was like, Dan, you absolutely positively have to tell me if you think Jokic plays more, or if Jokic plays fewer than 69 games this coming year. Nice. I would say Fewer. Nothing I say is 100%. It's probably like 60-40. But off a title run, which again, that's about as far as you're going to go. I mean, it is as far as you're going to go. Minus the finals not going seven games. They went, what, five? And having really nothing left to prove, all of the prove-it has fallen onto other guys that fancy themselves MVPs, Jokic has nothing to prove. The Nuggets have nothing to prove. They told themselves they had a lot to prove. They made themselves out to be an underdog, but there's just not that anymore. And this past year, I think the Nuggets were already kind of going easier on Jokic during the regular season. This was already slightly throttled down and still posted an MVP-level campaign, and still got through more games than most of the guys near the top of the board, and maybe that does happen again. In fact, odds are it probably does. Who has the best shot to be number one this coming year? It's probably still Jokic. But is it quite as locked in as it was two seasons back, when there was no Jamal Murray and then no Michael Porter Jr. after he got hurt early in the season, Or even this most recent year where those guys were back and we now saw the small chunk. It was was small, but it was not zero that they took out of Jokic's uh, pile of to-do 
Jokic scoring went down season over season from 27 to 24 and change. His rebounding was actually sort of the big one there. Went from almost 14 to down like 12. His assists went up, not surprisingly, because he had teammates that he felt were more trustworthy or could go hit an open shot. Two combined steals and blocks this year versus 2.4 the season before. He also played 74 games the season before when he had nobody's help and the team just couldn't win a game without him. Let's say that we believe Jokic goes under 69 games played this coming season. Again, everything that we're talking about right now is a hypothetical. And frankly, I'll mention again, because I do think as we go through exercises like this, some of you might let your brain tune out for a minute and then tune back in and say, oh my God, is Dan saying we shouldn't do this? No, I still do believe that Jokic probably, probably meaning... Of everybody on the board, he probably has the highest chance to still finish number one, certainly by totals, probably also per game. But here's the thing, and now as we continue to make the case for the field, if there was any erosion for Jokic over what he was at this very season, Joel Embiid would have actually beat him on a per-game basis. And... And it's easy for a lot of us to forget this because after a series of different injuries and blah, 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 if you are just looking at the first two months of this NBA season, Nikola Jokic was actually ranked fifth in per-game value. We always kind of knew that eventually others would tucker out a little bit for whatever reason, injury, something else. But after two months this year, the top five was Anthony Davis, Kevin Durant, Shea, Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic. This was nine cat. Eight cat, he actually moved ahead of one or two of those guys, I think. Because AD only had 1.9 turnovers, so he came way down the board. Behind Jokic, Joel Embiid was right behind him there, which, not that surprising. And there was a little bit of a tail off uh, before you got to Jason Tatum. Probably not a guy that was going to leapfrog those upper crust guys it's easy to forget because after the first two months most of those guys I just listed had played in all of their team's games AD had missed I think three or four KD I think had played in all of them Shea had missed one or two Jokic had missed one or two Steph had missed three or four I think as well so it wasn't so quite so overwhelming as when we got to the end of the season and Kevin Durant had missed Basically half the year, a little bit less than that. Anthony Davis had missed a third of the season. Shea, Jokic, Embiid, those guys were all in the same general area. Steph missed about a third of the season from that point forward as well. And also his numbers tapered off, as did Kevin Durant's. And, and certainly that's to be expected because KD went to another team where he wasn't asked to do as much. Today is a day to say, okay to taking care of your face. That's as far as I can go, I think, with the rhyming and off-rhyming here on the pod. Today is a day to visit our pals at calderalab.com. You can get 20% off your order with promo code ETHOS, E-T-H-O-S, 
20% off at calderalab.com, C-A-L-D-E-R-A-L-A-B.com. Take care of your face. It is hotter than a you-know-what outside, and that ain't good for your skin either. The sun smashing down India. But luckily for you, Caldera Lab has you covered. Forget first impressions. You got summertime to worry about now. Use the regimen. And look, you know what I'll do? I'm actually going to tell you how it works on today's podcast. We're going to go through. I'm going to walk you through it because this is how easy it is. And I can tell you how long each of these things takes. The clean slate, that's a face wash. Takes about 20 seconds in the morning, 20 seconds at night. One pump, clean lather, all that good stuff. The Icon, you guys know that one's my favorite. I talk about that one a lot. You massage a pump morning and night into the area around each eye. They suggest using your ring finger. I'm going to say, use whatever finger you like. What if I did that? What if I said that same thing for some of our other sponsors? That'd be a weird read. Rub it on your under eye and on your eyelid, morning and night. That's about 20 seconds again. So now we're at, let's see, 40 seconds, 40 seconds, buck 20. The base layer, that's in the morning. That'll take you about 20 seconds after you've cleaned and dried your skin. A little dime-sized amount out of a tub. You can put a little SPF on top of that if you want. Protect your face. The good, a couple of droplets. That's the antioxidant goodies. That's at nighttime before bed. That's two minutes over the course of the entire day. Two minutes to take care of your face. Caldera Lab is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, and signs of aging and is the leader in men's skin care and is here to save the day. Use our exclusive code. Again, I tell you, ethos at calderalab.com to enjoy 20% off their best products. Jump into skin and first impression royalty with Caldera Lab. But that first, that first two-month span, October 18th to Christmas, effectively, Jokic was not the number one player in fantasy. From that point forward, he was. And again, like this is a thing that you'll get into. But if you believe that that's a thing that could potentially rear its head again, you can make a case for the field. In fact, over the season's final 30, 35 ball games or so, call it two and a half, three months, Jokic was actually not even number one. He was number two. Damian Lillard was number one. And then he got the plug pulled on him. And then it went Jokic and Embiid, who were in a dead heat. Kawhi Leonard was number four. Not that far behind those guys. Shea, Kyrie, Kristaps, Steph was all the way down at 11. Kevin Durant was at 16. Anthony Davis was at 13, mostly because of free throw shooting. KD's numbers were lower, largely because he didn't have to do as much. He was also hurt a lot. So was Anthony Davis. Steph also banged up in there. Steph's numbers actually, in in kind of a weird twist, his didn't change as much from that beginning range to the end range. It was a little thing with him. Look at Steph's numbers for the season he went from 30 points like 7 and 7 and 50 92 to like high 20s the rebounds the assists everything came down just by a little bit over that stretch but again there was injury stuff involved 
But that's the thing. You kind of have to think about this year with Nikola Jokic. Again, I'm not necessarily trying to scare you off of this proposition. He is still the safest player to take at number one. But I do think you can make a case for the field this year in a way that... And we tried to do it last season, but even then... I did a six-episode series last uh, mid-August or late-August on the case to take someone else at number two. I think there is a case this year, but we could say to take someone else at number one. Am I going to do it? Eh, it's up in the air. Because if you want to start at that list of players that I was just talking about, the ones that were ahead of Jokic after two months this year, AD, KD, Steph, Shea, and if you want to even say Embiid, we're all kind of wedged in there together. You then have to say, okay, well, that's my field. And do I have to look at anyone else? Who else is in the field? Is Jason Tatum in the field? I think the answer is no. He was about as good as you can be for those first two months with the his shot selection, shooting 47-86 splits, two defensive stats there was just kind of no way for him to sustain higher splits because Tatum started the year at like 47 87 the blocks slowly came down it just wasn't going to stick could you make a Luca case yeah I mean if you took Luca's numbers from last year and you cranked him up from a low 70s foul shot guy to a mid 80s foul shot guy he pushes his way into that discussion like, if you were just punting free throws, Luka would be number four. By the way, Jokic doesn't move down the board all that much because his free throw number was only a very small help. He still had a pretty good-sized lead on Luka, even if you threw free throw percentage out. And they had the same exact turnover count, so don't, don't get into that mess. Could Kyrie get up into that top four? Probably not. He certainly has the percentages, but I don't know that there will be the usage alongside Luka. Could you make a case for Dame? Probably not, because it doesn't seem like he's going to be given his all in Portland if he stays put for any stretch, if he even shows up. And then if Miami, he's going to be sharing the ball in a way that he didn't really have to in Portland. And the other name, uh, well, I guess a couple more guys that you could say, all right, well, this guy's like had a run in that range would be Tyrese Halliburton, who you're looking at, and he's got all the peripherals to say this could work, but he probably needs to score a little bit more in kind of a weird twist. You look at it like, what needs to be the difference maker for this dude? He probably needs to score a little bit more. You know, the way that Kawhi gets up into that range is, and again, you're looking sort of towards the end of this season when you had full tilt Kawhi. Uh, he's scoring 27 points a game. And Halliburton, who, by the way, was very good down the stretch before they shut him down and did work his way into the, the top five over the season's final 15 ball games. He did it because his scoring went up to 24. He was also shooting 54%, which, as great as he is, that's probably not something that's going to stick. So if you want to make the case for Tyrese Halliburton, you're saying, okay, well, either his field goal goes up from 49 to something in the low 50s, or... He takes 16 or 17 shots a game instead of 15. That's probably the way that, that happens. If you want to say Dame, I don't think you can. Do you want to look at anybody else? Do you want to look at Kawhi Leonard 
and suggest. I mean, per game, Kawhi Leonard has been a top five play before. Um, it's just hard to say. Uh, uh, just coming off another injury. I know he's supposed to be healthy and all that stuff. And then could there be a surprise player that bounds into the first round that was sort of nowhere near it before? Because you go through the list from last year, and the guys in the second round that you say could have a shot would be Kawhi. And sorry, JJJ, I just can't elevate you any farther. There's like, even with Ja out, I don't know how much more that dude could have possibly done this last year. Jimmy Butler, not if Dame is coming to town. Basically, I'm just trying to cull a list for you guys right now. LaMelo Ball, is he a guy that could jump up a round or two if everything broke the right way? Could Freddie Van Vliet have more usage? Eh. Some folks are saying Anthony Edwards is going to get to that marker, but his percentages would have to both dramatically improve. Dramatically. You're banking on a lot at that point. So, I think I pivot back to... The short list, which is basically the guys that were, for any market stretch of time this year, ahead of Nikola Jokic on the board. So like any two-month stretch. And that list was, as we'll go through it again, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. I got to put him in there. It's a big question mark, and we all know why that one's going to get written off, but I'll put him in there because we want to be thorough here. Steph, because he's done it before. Kevin Durant, because he's done it before, although, again, situation a little more fluid. Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Joel Embiid. Tyrese Halliburton? Is that the seven guys you could make an argument for? If you were going to say make an argument for all of those guys at number two, you could have a better case for it. But how many of those seven could you really make an argument for for number one? Took us 15 minutes, basically, uh, to get to the name that I think I want to dedicate today's show to, and that is Joel Embiid. So the first half of today's show was just trying to make a case that someone besides Nikola Jokic could be number one. I think we've made a case that it's possible. Don't you guys? The case is made. Probable. Eh. But if you're going to write all these names down, the seven names I just gave you, and then there's going to be like an other pile. But if you wrote down those seven-ish names I just gave you, you'd say, what are the odds that each of these guys ends up as the number one play in fantasy by totals? To me, that's actually more important in this discussion at the end of the year. Jokic, you'd probably say like 30%, probably as the biggest number. And then Embiid is probably the next one on the board. And we'll talk about him here in just a second. And then you might say, well, what if Steph stays really healthy? Is he third most likely? Is Shea third most likely? We're not going to get that far on today's show, so I guess we don't really need to answer that question today. But I feel like I'm not going that far out on a limb to say that the second most likely player on that if you were going to make the Vegas odds board for who finishes number one fantasy by totals this year, would be Joel Embiid. Which seems wild, because two seasons ago, we would have said there was no chance, specifically, 
because of games played, that Joel Embiid could come anywhere near the number one slot in fantasy. But over the last two seasons, he's played 68 out of 82 games and 66 out of 82 games. And he's coming off a fantasy season this past year that was, by all accounts, the best he's ever had. The best he's ever Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. I had to do it. And James Harden wants out of Philly. Whoever comes back, and I know that Harden wasn't out there like taking a crap ton of shots at only about 15 per ball game, but it was like the Halliburton 15. 21 points, 7 assists for Harden, 6 free throws per game. Whatever Philly gets back in a Harden trade, if it does go down, is likely to be a person or collection of persons who don't have the basketball as often as James Harden did. And yes, a lot of what Harden did is going to get distributed among whoever ends up with playmaking duties on that team. But Joel Embiid is a guy who's a playmaker. We might very well see a Joel Embiid taking 21-22 shots a game uh, like Bradley Beal all by himself, Washington Wizards kind of, kind of year, which was what? Was that the COVID season? Uh, yeah, Beal took 23 shots a game. Not the, not the first COVID year, not the one that where everything got shut, although it was 23 shots a game last that season also. But for two years there, uh, Beal took 23 shots per game. If Joel Embiid, and it's not out of the realm of possibility if his teammates are Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey, etc. Look, I like DeAnthony Melton. You guys know this. But the guy who's going to be taking the lion's share of the offensive shots on that team would be Embiid. And now we're talking about a Nick Nurse, not a, not a Doc Rivers offense. And you could say Doc... Like, he's a guy that gets a lot out of his big men, and maybe they ran it through Embiid more than another coach would have, but if there's nobody else there, and Embiid is... Like, there's nobody close on that team to how effective he is at doing offense. This coming season might be the one where he actually should win MVP. But can he stay upright? Because if James Harden really does leave town and they really roll into the season and say, look, Embiid, you, you, like, we need you taking 23 damn shots a ball game, you're going to exhaust yourself. 
Or, I don't know, maybe the shots only go up to like 21 and a half, but the free throws go up from 12 to 13. Does something else suffer? Steals, blocks, games played. Maybe. Maybe. But we're going to fall back on the age-old adage that usage is value. And if you give Embiid more usage, and the assists go up, and the scoring goes up, and the positive impact field goal percent goes up, and the positive impact free throw percent goes up, because, look, he's, he's an impact guy on both of those. Even if there's a little bit of erosion in turnovers and maybe defensively, although, look, like if he's playing full starters minutes, he's been that far off from this last year, you could be looking at a, an, an all-world kind of season. The injury stuff is always going to be out there. But again, if they don't have Harden, and that does, for whatever reason, I think that actually shakes things up a little bit. I know that there's an argument that if that team does trade Harden and they don't get somebody back that's sort of a, a, an A-tier basketball player that maybe Philly might roll into stagnation mode and Embiid might be like, yeah, it's just not happening here. I, I actually kind of think it goes the other way because they changed the coaching situation. They'll change the personnel. There might be a little bit of a, like a fresh air. I don't know how long that lasts, but it certainly feels like it would be that way to start the season. And so if you roll all that together, if you think Jokic plays fewer than 69 games this coming season, those two guys were only separated by three games played this last year. If Jokic played two games less, 67 instead of 69, and Embiid played one game more, and Jokic has a finals hangover and gets off to a slow start, and Embiid comes out and he's like, this is all my team. I will do it myself. And he gets off to a robust start. Then at that point, you're counting down the days to someone else maybe being number one. It is not that insane, only a little bit, to suggest that Jokic might not be the number one play in fantasy this year. The beauty of Jokic, of course, is that specifically if you're in a roto format, drafting him leaves you short in almost nothing. He's good at so many things. 25 points per game. Yeah, I mean, maybe you'd want a little bit more than that out of your top of the draft pick. And as a big man, one three-pointer, that's fine. You can make that up in guards later on. But the rebounds are amazing. Getting that many assists from a big man allows you to potentially not have to worry about it as much with the guard. He gets you steals. You'll probably need someone to block a few shots later on. But positive in both percentages. There's just so many things to like. Embiid, by the way, also positive in a lot of stuff. Not quite the positive in assists of Jokic, but positive steals, bigger positive in blocks, not quite as much in field goal percent, but better in free throw. Like, there's a lot made about the fact that Jokic is, is six assists higher than Joel Embiid, and the field goal percent is a big bump. But Embiid was better in scoring free throw percent, and rebounds are relatively tight. It's not that insane. I feel like when, when folks talk about and I'm not talking about the MVP stuff because Jokic probably should have had the MVP this year again, but there was MVP fatigue on that one. Fantasy-wise, Joel Embiid could carry your team in a similar way. 
You know me. Roto, I'm going Jokic because I just, I love that field goal percent thump. There's just, there's, it allows you to do so many things later on, having someone that can carry you in that category like that. But like, I mean, one of the big differences between these two guys is that Embiid scoring is hyper elite. Blocks are very elite. Free throw is extremely elite. You're just sort of building a different team. If you go Jokic, you're probably building, I don't want to say a punt scoring team, but you might be building a punt scoring team. If you go Embiid, you're not really necessarily building a punt anything team. If I am presented today, August the 2nd, with a fantasy draft, and I get the first pick, I'm going Jokic. But there are a lot of things that could happen between between now and opening day where I might go a different way. And I don't think that it's that crazy. So today, I tell you, there is a case to be made to take someone besides Nikola Jokic for the number one pick in your draft. And today, I also tell you that the case there is probably Joel Embiid. If anyone. If anyone. Probably not anyone, but if anyone. It's hard. when, it, Like, you guys... I have to be so careful on a show like this because I don't want people to come out of it saying, oh, Dan said go Joel Embiid instead of Nikola Jokic. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying... We've all fallen in love with the idea that it's an obvious answer to this question, but I don't think it's that obvious this year. I don't. Not as obvious as last year or the year before. Funny thing is, this last season, the second-place guy was Shea Gilgis-Alexander. He was not that far behind Nikola Jokic. Between those two guys, you obviously go Jokic. Just because of the way the stats are built. But... It's not like the previous year, 2021 season, where Jokic just boat raced everyone. No one was close. The gap between number one Jokic and number two Embiid was the size of an early second round pick. You could have slotted in JJJ or James Harden between those two guys two years back. Not this year. There's still a little bit of an opening, but it was one that could be made up by Embiid playing one or two extra games and Jokic playing one or two less. That's how close it was. That's how close it was. Tomorrow, I'm going to try something a little harder because I actually don't think it's that hard to make a case to go Joel Embiid at number one. Tomorrow, we're going to make a case for other players to go number one. Who will it be? You'll have to tune in and find out. And if we can't convince ourselves of enough of them making sense... Then we'll start doing a case for number two. And that's how we're going to work our way through some of the names here at the top of the board. Because it's the beginning of August, let's have a little fun. I am Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll talk at you again tomorrow. So long for now. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. 
Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.